uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be actually starting a new section uh, in a series uh, on prayer for the next three weeks. Uh, and so the past two weeks, or the past three weeks, we've been kind of focusing on what it means uh, to be the church, uh, that Christ died for the church to exist, for us to be brothers and sisters, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, empowered to continue the work of the ministry uh, that Christ began when he walked on this earth. Uh, the fact that in Ephesians chapter 3, it says that it was God's wisdom to use the church to reveal himself uh, to the world. Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, said it was better for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come to empower the church in moving forward. Uh, and then in that, the church itself is anchored to God for all of eternity. It's not shaken by anything in this world. Uh, the church has endured. We looked at a number of different things throughout history. Uh, we look back at multiple world wars. We look back at multiple pandemics. Countless different political rulers in many different countries. And Christ has endured and ruled through all of those things. Uh, today, what we're going to be doing is taking a look then at prayer. And the role of prayer within the church. Uh, we're going to look at it in the next three Sundays in kind of uh, different ways. Today we're going to focus on well, prayer in the sense of uh, who God is. As we pray to him next week, we'll take a look at how prayer affects us, changes us and transforms us. Uh, and then the third week, we're going to be taking a look at uh, prayer in the, um, in the realm or in the use of for spiritual warfare. Uh, and how we're supposed to use that. So just kind of a, an idea of where we're going. Uh, we're going to start out this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll also be heading into Matthew chapter 6. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to those areas. Uh, we'll also have the scriptures up on the screens. Uh, but before we read in Ephesians, let's pray. And Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, just again, in a humble acknowledgement of we need you. Every moment, every hour, we need you. We need you here this morning. We need you for the rest of the day. We need you for this week and whatever may come. For this next year, until you return, we need you. And so, Lord, we seek you. Our hearts cry out with David. One thing we ask, one thing we seek, to dwell in your holy temple. To gaze upon your beauty all the days of our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come uh, and we look at prayer itself, that you would teach us, that you would convict us, and that you would help us in this miraculous gift that you've given to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, because it kind of links to last week. We looked at this passage a bit last week uh, in that sense of uh, the church has endured throughout history, facing many different situations, violent persecution. Uh, but then in all of that, Romans says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. And what can separate us from the love uh, of God? Then we went into Ephesians in order to look that, that our battle is not against human beings. Our battle is not against one another, but rather uh, it is a spiritual battle. And so we'll read this again, and then it'll kind of launch us off into uh, our topic for today. Uh, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers 
of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And so we have this dynamic passage here. That's put on the end of the book of Ephesians where, where it's talking to us and what it means to be the church. How Christ died for us. He brought us together. And Ephesians chapter 4 talks about us making sure that we maintain the bond of the unity through the spirit of peace. And then in all of this, it wraps it up in saying, okay, now that you know that you've been rescued by Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You know that he's brought you as a family together into being the church for a plan and for a purpose that is not your own. Knowing all of these things, here, get ready for battle. Put on the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, all these things. Be prepared. Do you see what it ends with? Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Oh, there's a couple different meanings here in this idea of pray at all times in the Spirit. One uh, meaning in this uh, is with the spiritual gift uh, of tongues, a prayer language that God gives to us uh, that is described and taught in how to do that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And in chapter 14, it talks about how this gift is given to us uh, in order to pray, and it does build us up. It connects us with God, and we're able to pray to Him in that. But it cannot only mean here in this passage, pray at all times in the Spirit. This does not always mean in tongues. Because as we see in chapter 12, 13, and 14, the Spirit will distribute the gifts, including tongues, as He chooses. And not everybody will have the gift of tongues. Not everybody will have the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy. And so therefore, uh, this cannot mean only pray in tongues at all times, but rather in the Spirit, how the Spirit leads us to pray. A lot of times we uh, approach prayer and we have the list of needs, our list of wants and desires. It's a, it's a shopping list uh, that we go to God and say, here, can you take care of this for me? And how often do we actually approach prayer in the sense of how would you have me pray, Lord? Here's the situation that I'm facing. What do you want me to pray for? What do you want to accomplish in this season, in this circumstance? Or what do you want to change in me as we go through these things? 
And, and so the first thing uh, I just want to point that out is that we need to change our attitude towards prayer. Uh, if our attitude is just like, okay, God, can you take care of this? Because it's a submission to him. It's a, it's a seeking him and asking for him uh, to move in our lives, but also for him to be Lord, for him to be king, for, for us to be submitted to what he has for us in our lives. And I think it helps to, to really consider, first of all, the, the miraculous nature of prayer itself. Because sometimes I think we come with those lists uh, just in a way to kind of uh, relieve a burden off of ourselves, in a sense. I'm stressed about my job. I'm stressed about school. I'm stressed about health or family or, or whatever it is. And so if I can just pray to God and say, hey, can you take care of this? In one sense, it, it kind of relieves that, kind of takes it off our shoulders and gives it to him. And, and then we can be able to, to move on because now we feel better that we gave it to God. And there's some truth in that. In Ephesians, or rather Philippians, excuse me, uh, chapter 4, talks about us bringing our cares and our worries to God. Our anxieties and the peace of Christ that transcends all understanding will be ours as we come to him uh, in prayer and thanksgiving. But at the same time, how often do we actually envision what we're doing as we're praying? We open our mouths to talk to the Creator of the universe. Not just some help desk saying, oh, could you take care of this punch list for me? But that when we get on our knees, we lie on our face, we're standing, we're driving, that, that whatever we're doing in prayer, we're, we're talking to the God of the universe that spoke all things into existence. To the God who said, let there be light, and light existed. To the God who said, you know, it would be really cool if there was the biggest mammal, but it's in the ocean and not on land. And he created the blue whale. The God who said, let there be a blue whale, and there's just like this giant, multi-hundred-ton beast that swims through the water. That's who we're speaking to. The Bible says that, that he dwells in unapproachable light in 1 Timothy. In Genesis, when, when Moses said, I want to see your face, God, God's response was, you can't handle it. You're going to die. So, so here, let me, let me put you in this little cleft in a rock, and, and I'm going to kind of cover so you don't see me. And I'm going to walk past, and as I walk past, I'm going to take my hand away so that you can get a glimpse of my back. And so Moses, like, I, who, could you imagine being him in that moment? Like, sitting there with your face into the rock, like, okay, if I look too soon, I'm going to die. No, no, not yet. And all of a sudden, God's hands are moved from the cleft in the rock, and, and I just, you know, Moses kind of sitting there with his beard, you know, like, peeking out. And, and whatever he saw it said that it transformed his face so much that it glowed. And the nation of Israel didn't even want to look at Moses' face. And so he would put a veil over his face because it was too intense for, for Israelites to see the face that actually saw the back of God. This is who we pray to. 
on Mount Sinai, God's presence uh, was signaled by lightning and thunder and dark clouds to the point where the whole mountain trembled. And yet in Hebrews, it says that we no longer go to Mount Sinai, but rather we go to Mount Zion because of Jesus Christ. And we're able to approach and have an intimate conversation with the God who spoke all things into existence. When you imagine God and where he is, where he dwells, what enters into your mind? We have pictures uh, in Revelation as John was receiving a vision from the Holy Spirit of, of things where there was like a sea of glass and 24 elders uh, around it. Uh, again, lightning and thunder happening. But a throne of jasper and carnelian and, and almost an emerald rainbow behind him. Four cherubim. And, and just the splendor and glory of God in his throne room. This is who we're talking to when we go in prayer. And if we would have that acknowledgement, how would we pray? If we just take a moment, five seconds before we open our mouth in prayer to acknowledge this is who I'm about to speak to. Does that change our priorities? Or does it change our attitude, our, our wants? Maybe there's something petty that we're just struggling with. And just, just the acknowledgement that I'm about to pray to the creator of the universe. Then, then maybe I don't want to bring you know, frustration over a sports game to him. But at the same time, when we're asking him to move in our lives, I need help with my, my family relationships. I need help in my job. I need help in my health. I need spiritual help in order to, to battle darkness. I imagine the difference then. God, I, I, my situation at work is so difficult. I want to represent you. I, I want to share your light to the people that I work with, but they mock Christians. And so it's really difficult for me to open my mouth and, and point to you because I, it's hard. And if in your mind you're sitting there and you're envisioning Jesus on the throne with the four cherubim around him and the army of angels surrounding at his beck and call. And you say, God, you have called me to be a light to the nations, an ambassador to this world. Will you help me in my job? It changes the way that we have faith. Instead of just setting up a punch list and saying, okay, God, can you take care of this? We have to remember who it is that we are speaking to. The holiness and power of God himself. And as we imagine this, it could almost be difficult to, to envision approaching him. Right? Like, like here's my list of things that are, that are difficult for me. 
the, the stress that we had in, in 2020, and, and then going up to Christ on the throne. Like if we can just imagine ourselves walking into that throne room, uh, here's the sea of glass, here's all the elders, you, you got the cherubim, you know, the one with the head that looks like an eagle, another one that looks like a bull, another one like a lion, another one that looks like a man. They all have, you know, eight or six wings and they're all covered with eyes and you open up the doors into this throne room and, and you go forward and you're like, I got this list, you know, and then you got that angel with the eagle head like, And, and you have to walk past the sea of glass to go up to Jesus? I, part of me feels like I want to fall flat on my face and, and just be like, um, here, help. But that's not how we're supposed to approach God. We, we have to acknowledge his glory and his splendor and his power because he is God, but also because of Jesus Christ, our, the way that we can approach him has been radically transformed. Again, the nation of Israel, the presence of God, thunder and lightning on the mountain to the point where they were scared to even go on the mountain. They didn't want to see Moses' face. That was Old Testament. That's before Jesus Christ walked the earth and died so that we could have reconciliation with God. At the point where he died, the, the curtain that separated the most holy from the holy in the temple tore in two, signifying the access that we have. Because before that moment, only the high priest was allowed to enter into that area one day a year. And tradition holds that they would put bells on his ankle so that as he entered in there to, to, to minister within that area, that if they heard the bells stop, they knew that he died. And so then they would like pull him out with a rope instead of going. Like, like this is how sacred and holy and restricted the access to the presence of God was. But in this, Jesus Christ has transformed it through his death. We'll be looking at uh, the example of prayer that Christ himself taught us to use. That he was paying for with his blood for us to be able to use uh, in the Our Father prayer. It'll be Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, we won't get through all of it this week. Uh, and so we're going to look at it, some of it this week uh, and some more of this prayer next week. But in Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 13, when they were asking... How should we pray? This is Jesus' answer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is how Jesus taught his followers to pray. And it's an example for us today, and, and perhaps some of the most profound words in this teaching were the very first two words of this prayer. Our Father. Because it shows the relationship that we have with God that Jesus Christ died for. It's not the sense of entering into the the 
presence of the creator of the universe where we need to fall on our face and, and present our requests in a way that says, oh, great maker of all things, uh, who was and is and is to come, who am I before you? Uh, but here, could you help with this? But please don't smite me. It's very different from what Jesus is saying here and saying, our Father. Romans chapter 8 and Galatians, uh, it talks about through the adoption that was brought about by Jesus' death and resurrection that we are adopted into the family of God when we come to a place of salvation and find the forgiveness of our sins. In fact, it says that we are given the spirit within us by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, uh, was abandoned a decade, I don't know. Uh, it was a while ago. Uh, but within this, uh, the translation of Abba, the closest thing that we can have to it, uh, is really Daddy. And through, through salvation, through the forgiveness of our sins, by, by Jesus Christ dying on the cross, but more through His resurrection, and the new life given to us through that in faith, God himself gives us a spirit where he wants us to refer to him as daddy. A, a sweet, tender, intimate, trusting phrase. Now this can be hard for us, uh, some of us at times, because we may struggle with an understanding of what a father is. Because regardless of how uh, good of a relationship people in this room have had with their fathers, they're all imperfect versus the perfect, holy, heavenly Father. And there may be some uh, in this room uh, that struggle with the understanding of God as daddy or as father because uh, they grew up in a situation where uh, their father wasn't present. Or if he was present, uh, it was... A struggle. Maybe there was abuse. And in that, Satan tries to kill, steal, and destroy by twisting an understanding of God as Father. But even Jesus understood this uh, and is teaching in John chapter 14 in order to reveal to us what it means for God to be Father. Beginning in verse 6, Jesus uh, told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If, <clears throat> excuse me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, uh, I do not speak on my own. The Father that lives in me does his works. And so in this passage, Jesus is emphasizing three times if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God the Father is, look at me. Because I represent him. I am in him and he is in me. 
And so all we have to do is to take a look at the life of Jesus. We, we can go into here and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and everything that Jesus did and said and was. We see uh, him on earth uh, teaching and revealing truth, giving instruction and discipleship uh, to those that he loved and disciplined. He was firm when he needed to be firm, but he also had compassion, tender mercy. We look at him and we get a glimpse uh, of the Father as he's sitting there and he's teaching. There's a crowd of people uh, and the Pharisees bring and drag a woman who was caught in the midst of adultery to throw at his feet. And they're all carrying stones to throw at her. And Jesus looks at it and says, you without sin cast the first stone. And so they all drop their stones and they walk away. And she's still sitting there. And he said to her, is there anyone here to condemn you? No. Well, neither do I. Get up and sin no more. That's a glimpse of the Father. The love and compassion and forgiveness of the Father. And in our own lives, in our own weaknesses, the sin that we face, we know how God the Father will respond because we've seen how Jesus has responded. We've seen his tenderness and his compassion where people were following him and they were hungry because they hadn't eaten provides food for them and fish and loaves. Where people have lost children in death out of compassion, raise them from the dead. People who are blind, deaf, leprosy. We lay his hands on people that others would avoid and walk away from. It is the love and compassion of the Father. And so regardless of whatever earthly experience we've had with our earthly dads, our earthly fathers, we can look to Scripture and the life of Jesus Christ and know the character and compassion and love and firmness, but righteousness and truth of God the Father, our Abba, our Daddy, the one that we can pray to, as we've seen multiple people come to Jesus Christ, crying out, would you help me with this illness? We can go to the same God, the same Father, and ask the same questions. We can seek Him. Jesus' death on the cross resulted in an unprecedented access for us to be able to approach God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 uh, it says, we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. 
what it's saying here is that as Jesus walked this earth, he faced temptations. He knows what betrayal feels like. He knows the struggle that we have. And he's there desiring and, and waiting for us to come to him. And so therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This throne of grace is the same throne with the sea of glass, the elders surrounding it, the cherubim, Jesus on the throne, the peals of thunder and lightning, the, the emerald rainbow, all the throne of grace, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ and our adoptions as sons and daughters of God, by which we cry out, Daddy, we can enter into that throne room with boldness. We may not feel it. It'd be hard for us to accept it, but, but here it is saying the Holy Spirit is inspiring. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, with that sense of adoption. The full acceptance by the Father. The right that he has given to us as children to come before him with our needs. And in fact, later on, uh, it's Jesus on the name is betrayed in uh, chapter 15, 16, and 17. He, he really tells us to go to the Father because the Father loves us and we can ask anything in his name. It, it should change the way that we approach prayer. Because even though we might acknowledge God as the creator of all things, from the blue whale to the tiniest little gnat, we can enter into his presence with boldness. And his response is not, who is this that dares to enter into my presence? But it's, Mary, good to see you. Phil, I, I, I long to hear from you. Let's spend some time together. What, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? How can I help? As a loving father would. We've been given permission by God himself. And so do we enter into prayer with confidence and boldness? Or do we struggle with a sense of timidity? And if we struggle with timidity, it's because we don't fully understand the identity that God has given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's something that we need to work through and accept because the truth is he has transformed us spiritually, radically, totally different in Christ than we were before salvation. We just don't live that way as we should. And prayer helps us to transform. We'll get more into that next week. But as we go through this, we understand this, this beauty of Christ's death on the cross actually setting the path for us to consider and call God our Father and our Daddy. Then also says, who is in heaven? And so again, this sense of separation that he is our dad, not out of anything on this earth, not dependent or contingent upon anything that happens here, but in heaven, outside of this world. And so therefore, all of his promises, all of his help, all of his strength and all of his power is in him and who he is, not dependent upon our circumstances 
our fears, our anxieties, what people do around us, what happens in the political election, what happens with health, all of those things are subject to him because he is in heaven. He is not affected by anything that happens here, but rather he affects what happens here. Next is hallowed be your name. And so it's the sense of worship and awe and recognizing who and what he is. We've, we've covered that a bit already this morning in the sense that, that he has created all things. And to him belongs all glory and all power and honor and praise. And we must acknowledge that in worship through praise and thanksgiving as we seek him. And then it follows it up by saying, your kingdom come. It's an acknowledgement of God as ruler above all things. That all things are, are under his feet because he is in heaven, because he is outside of this world, of this realm, that he holds all things together by his word. Okay, you're king. Like, you're in control uh, of everything. And, and anything that we see here on earth are, are just a uh, semblance, a shadow of control. But ultimately, he is, and we desire for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. And by saying that, by, by voicing that out, I want your kingdom to come, we're willingly giving up our own. We're willingly saying, I, I want to set aside my preferences. I want to set aside what I think is right, what I think ought to be, or trying to pursue and build my little comfort kingdom here on earth. I willingly set that aside because I'd rather see your kingdom established as my Lord and my ruler, and I submit to you in all that I do. In Proverbs 14, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Isaiah chapter 55 uh, is God speaking. He says, it's my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration for as, as heaven is higher than earth. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's an acknowledgement of God is so far different than us. And yet how many times do we try to put him into a box that fits our image. Well, I don't think God would do it this way because that's not just. I don't think God would do it that way because that's really not loving. And all we're doing is we're ignoring these verses and we're saying, well, here's my thoughts on what God ought to be like. And I'm not going to worship a God that doesn't fit into what I think is right and reasonable. It's not acknowledging holy is your name. You are in heaven and your kingdom come. Acknowledging that God is so far different than us, we cannot fathom it. But yet despite that distance, despite that difference, he willingly came to this earth to live a life with the purpose of dying so that we can be reconciled and have an intimate relationship with him. 
this idea of desiring his kingdom to come uh, begins a transformative work uh, within our own lives by acknowledging we want his way above ours. And we'll get into this more next week as we do this. But, but as we begin this pursuit of prayer as a, as a church, as a, a focus of prayer over the next three weeks and beyond, I want to start with this acknowledgement that Christ is Lord. That God is Almighty. He is on the throne and nothing can remove him from that. And Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from his hand. Let's pursue and seek after our Father. Let's seek what he has for us. Acknowledging that he created all things, that he holds all things together. He dwells in unapproachable light. And at the same time, we've been given the right through the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit to call him our daddy. And he loves us. Let's go to his lap. Let's seek him. Let's learn more of his love for us as we seek to love him more. Let's do it together. And so this morning as we end here, uh, we'll have it up on the screen if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, but I would like for all of us uh, to do it together. If you would join me uh, in saying the Our Father prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Daddy, we come before you this morning. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to move in us to appreciate and engage in the gift of prayer more. It is an acknowledgement of who you are. It is a pursuit of you and knowing you more than for you to move and act in our lives and in this world. Forgive us when we have approached prayer as something trivial, as a 911 call when we find ourselves in an emergency or as a, a shopping list of things that we kind of want. Help us to come before you, acknowledging you as the creator of all things and that you died so that we might call you daddy. Father, that relationship is not something we can fully comprehend, but we pray that by your spirit, you give us a deeper revelation of the love that you have for us and the intimacy that you desire with us. Let us just come into your presence to know you more, to worship you and seek you. And as a church, we submit ourselves before you and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.